Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. My name is Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. Today we're going to look at one of the truly fascinating events that occurred in the life of our Lord Jesus during his public ministry. We're going to be talking about the Transfiguration. It's found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8, but it is also found in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8, and Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. So Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came up to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. You know, the event that we're about to talk about is one of the few that is placed in a chronological order in the Gospels. It follows Peter's great confession at Caesarea Philippi. Matthew and Mark say, after six days, while Luke says, about eight days after. There is no contradiction there. Matthew and Mark are obviously counting the intervening days only while Luke includes the day of the confession and the day of the transfiguration, with six days in between. Additionally, Luke makes it clear that he does not intend to be exact by saying about eight days after. Those chosen by the Lord to accompany him and witness this event were Peter, James, and John. These three seem to have comprised the inner circle of the apostles. They were the three with him at the raising of Jairus' daughter, and the three who were with him apart from the other apostles in Gethsemane on the night of the Lord's betrayal. Luke again is the gospel writer who informs us that they went up in the mountain to pray, a constant activity in the life of Jesus. Matthew and Mark write that Jesus was transfigured before them, with Luke adding additional information. Luke tells us that when it occurred, Jesus was praying. He also tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about his departure, which was to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Luke adds that his disciples, Peter, James, and John, were heavy with sleep when the scene began, and that Peter began to speak as Moses and Elijah were leaving. It's interesting as you put together the three different accounts 
each of them for or adding additional information. Just think about the transfiguration, though. It was surely something wonderful to behold. The Greek verb used by Matthew and Mark and translated as transfigured means changed in form. It probably means that Jesus was changed back into a portion of his heavenly glory. Apparently his features remained the same, but there was a tremendous change in his face, garments, and entire person. There was an intense light, an overpowering light, coming from Jesus. Look at how each writer describes it. This will be from the King James Version. Matthew, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Mark says, and his garments became glistening, intensely white, as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Luke said, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his radiance became dazzlingly white. You know, it does call to mind, although to a much greater scale, um, I guess I should say to a smaller scale, what happened to Moses. Because when Moses gave the law, it says that as he uh, came down from the mountain, uh, that his face was shining, his, his countenance was shining. We, we read about this in Second Corinthians chapter 3, where they could not look at Moses' face because of the glory of his countenance. Well, here uh, Jesus uh, is transfigured, and his even his clothes, nothing said about that concerning Moses, but even his clothes are shining. Uh, so perhaps uh, this is why Peter initially goes to uh, a Moses reference and thinks that he is doing well to say, let us, let us build a tabernacle for, for you and for Moses and for Elijah. I do, I do like uh, Mark's addition here that the comment that came from Peter was a result of Peter not knowing what to say. And probably a good lesson for us all is that when we don't know what to say in a moment, uh, that we should probably just say nothing. <laughs> I, I think uh, Luke's account adds a um, another important aspect of telling us what Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about. Um, 31 talked about they were speaking of his departure, the, his being Jesus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Um, I think, and it doesn't go into any uh, more depth than that on what they were talking about specifically besides Jesus' departure, and but still I think just a, a, an awesome note to be had um, in the midst of this story. Also, I think, too, especially for Peter, uh, John, and, and James there to see Jesus, certainly they had, they had been with Jesus and seen him in, in the flesh, but to see Moses and Elijah, two extremely pivotal figures, especially Moses with the law and Elijah had been prophesied about um, in Malachi, and I think just in both of those, it's almost an almost an understandable way of why Peter reacted in that way. Of these are two extremely important um, people, um, and, and we'll clearly see though that there is there's one that's far greater. Talking about Jesus appearing with Moses and Elijah, 
And as you referenced, Jacob, the, the idea of the law and the prophets thus being represented by those two great Old Testament figures, Luke tells us that they appeared in glory and talked with Jesus. Well, that raises some interesting questions. What does in glory mean? Does it mean that they came from Hades, paradise? Or does it refer to the form in which they were seen? How did the apostles recognize that they were Moses and Elijah? Had the description of what those two men looked at looked like had been so meticulously passed down from generation to generation so that they immediately knew who they were? Did Jesus identify them as Moses and Elijah as he spoke with them? What kind of form were they in? There's a great deal about this event I think we'd all have to just say we don't know for certain, and we ought to be satisfied with simply what it says. As mentioned earlier, Luke is the one who tells us of the conversion conversation rather between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. They were talking about his departure that was to be accomplished at Jerusalem. They were talking about his crucifixion. There are a couple of interesting points to be made from Luke's words. The word for departure means exodus, the way out. Thus, by his death, Jesus was going out of the earth into heaven. At the same time, his death was to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Accomplished means to fulfill. By his death, all of the types and prophecies of the Old Testament related to that death would be fulfilled and accomplished. Yeah, you know, if Moses and Elijah are appearing in glory, uh, you know that they did so on the basis of that death that Jesus was about to accomplish. So while we do not know exactly what they were talking about, I can imagine that uh, part of the sentiment that would be expressed by Moses and Elijah would be one of thanksgiving because the very reason that Moses and Elijah uh, have been able to enter death and enjoy or experience glory is on the basis of what Jesus was just about to do for them. So I can't imagine uh, them not wanting to provide encouragement and thanksgiving and praise and worship to Jesus for his willingness to do so. But by, by promoting this idea of tabernacles to the three of them not uh, Luke says that when he said that that Peter did not know what he was saying not knowing what he said I take that to mean not knowing the implications of what he was saying you, you don't understand you think you're saying something good here what you're saying is tantamount to equating the three and I think God's response to that from heaven was, there is no equation here. Jesus will be exalted above these two. And it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1 that says, you know, in former times God used to speak through, through to us through various means, through the prophets, but now he's spoken to us through his Son. I think God does the same thing there by exalting Jesus. You know, I think as well that the individuals involved, Peter, James, and John, what they must have thought when they saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus in a glorified state. It must have been an absolutely amazing thing. They were probably not only amazed, but maybe a little bit afraid 
And even as they were afraid and amazed, I believe they were rejoicing at what they saw. It was an incredible scene that they were witnessing. I think it's easy to see and to understand the different emotions that they were experiencing. So, as he often did, Peter spoke up and proposed that they make those three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. Now, a tabernacle was a tent, most often made from cloth, but sometimes constructed from the branches of a tree. It was a temporary dwelling place. This indicates one possible way of viewing Peter's proposal. In his rejoicing at the scene and in his wonderment, it is possible that he may have been attempting to prolong it. Luke tells us that Peter spoke when the men were departing. Maybe Peter felt that by providing shelter they would remain. On the other hand, we know from the book of Exodus that a tabernacle had also been built for the honor of God as a dwelling place of the divine presence. Perhaps Peter's suggestion is best viewed in that light, I'm not certain. But to honor those involved in the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah, Peter was suggesting the idea of building tabernacles for each of them. You know, uh, Peter, the apostle, much later when he writes his second epistle, draws on this specific experience in order to establish uh, greater faith and to confirm the authority that he has to, to teach. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came uh, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So he draws on this experience uh, later on in his ministry. From out of the cloud comes that voice. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter's proposal had, as you mentioned, Ross, placed Peter, or Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on kind of a level plane with one another. God's statement sets Jesus above them all, and when they arose, they saw only Jesus. That's interesting. Moses and Elijah appeared only to disappear. Jesus abides. The law and the prophets were only temporary. The gospel of Jesus is final and eternal. I think the passage you referred to before, Ross, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, is applicable. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Anybody have anything else to add to the transfiguration? Okay, let's go ahead and talk about the discussion of that vision, also found in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, but we'll continue reading in Matthew, reading Matthew chapter 17, verses 9 through 13. This is what it says. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. I find it interesting. Jesus strictly forbidding Peter, James, and John from telling anyone what they'd seen until Jesus had risen from the dead. Why? The answer would be the same as it was in the previous incidences when Jesus had instructed the individuals involved to tell no man. It would be misunderstood and generate an excitement that would not be founded upon knowledge. Additionally, Peter, James, and John did not yet understand the full significance of what they had seen and heard. After the Lord's death had destroyed the false hopes and his resurrection had made clear his true glory, then they would be better equipped to understand and to tell others of what had happened on that mountain. Mark informs us that they didn't understand what the rising from the dead meant. So the apostles continued questioning Jesus about the appearance of Elijah. In their excitement, they made a connection between this event and the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, which said, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Jesus pointed out to them that the scribes were correct in saying that the Old Testament predicted that Elijah would come and restore all things. But the scribes, who were so insistent in offering this prophecy as a ground for rejecting Jesus as the Christ, needed to study the prophecies about the sufferings of the Messiah and see that their whole concept of the Christ was incorrect. The prophecy concerning Elijah had already been fulfilled. Elijah had already come. The scribes had failed to recognize him and had rejected his counsel. John the Baptist, rejected and slain, was the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the return of Elijah. Well, you know, I can think of one additional reason why Jesus might not have wanted this to be told until after he had risen from the dead. You know, besides the fact that this, this would be quite a gift for the disciples who uh, would have been in need of some uh, encouragement and faith building. Um, what what do you think is going to happen if if they immediately go out saying, "Hey, Jesus transfigured was transfigured, and uh, you know he was glorified, and we got to see it." You know, how many times have we already seen people saying, "Oh yeah, we, we, we've seen those signs. Show us something spectacular." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many times do you think people would be saying, well, we want to see that. Do that again. And it's like, no, this is going to be a special gift you're going get to the, get to hear about when the time is right. Well, while the understanding and faith of the apostles were undoubtedly helped by the explanation of Jesus, there was again the proposition of his death. Here was another prediction. The transfiguration, as you indicated, Ross, was granted to them in order to help them recover from the shock of the first clear prediction. But they were not permitted to leave this mountain so elated over what they had just witnessed that they would forget what lay ahead. A very important thing to consider. That's going to have to do it for this particular program today. What an event.
the transfiguration of Jesus, the appearing of Moses and Elijah with them. It's certainly an amazing occurrence. We want to thank each and every one of you who has listened and encourage you to get in contact with us by going to the website at www.nkcofc.com. Until we next time, thanks for listening.